Good morning. I feel like this is the third sermon we're getting this morning after all the announcements we've been having. Uh, Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts always be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Today is the feast day at which we recognize and honor St. James. Which James was that, you may ask? A good question, as there were three Jameses living at the same time in our Gospels. One was the brother of Jesus, who though he initially did not comprehend who and what Jesus was, or what he meant, eventually became the head of the church in Jerusalem, and is believed to be the author of the epistle of St. James. The other two were apostles. The second was... uh, was an apostle James, but he was called James the Less, or the Younger. He was the son of a Alphaeus, a gentleman Alphaeus. That leaves St. James, sometimes called the Greater. So who, who is this James? He was called by Jesus at the same time as Simon Peter and Andrew and his brother. He and his younger brother John were sons of a fisherman named Zebedee. And they immediately left their ship and their father and followed him. Peter, James, and John were a sort of inner circle amongst the apostles. These three only were honored to be present on three special occasions. The first was when Jesus raised the daughter of Jairus, the ruler of a synagogue, from the dead. Everyone thought she was dead, but Jesus said, Why do you make this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead. She's just sleeping. And the crowd laughed him to scorn. But Jesus took the parents and the three apostles, came into the girl and said, Talitha kumi, that is to say, as Mark translates, damsel, I say to thee, arise. And she arose. This miracle, of course, reminded the Jews of the raising of a boy from the dead by the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings. The second occasion for the three was the transfiguration, which we will celebrate in a short period of time. When they were astounded to see Jesus conversing with Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the prophet. Jesus' face and his clothing became shining white, and a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. The third time was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, asking them to tarry here and watch with him. Unfortunately, they went to sleep while Jesus prayed to the Father. If this cup may not pass away from me, Lord, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he had compassion on the disciples for sleeping, saying, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So James, John, and Peter were honored at these crucial times in Jesus' ministry. But, as we know, they all had their weaknesses, as we do. Peter, of course, boasted at the Last Supper that he would defend Jesus to the end. To his horror, 
He denied him three times. Yet Jesus had compassion and forgave him. Peter, feed my flock. The brother Zebedee got in a lot of trouble too. One occasion was when Jesus wanted to stay in a Samaritan village on the three-day journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. But the Samaritans did not like the Jews, and they refused to receive him. And this angered the brother Zebedee, who had a reputation for thundering. In fact, they were called by Jesus, Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. They said, Lord, do you wish that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume this village, even as Elijah did? But Jesus rebuked them saying, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. The other time they got into big trouble, and this was really big trouble, was in our gospel lesson today. Jesus has just finished foretelling his death to the disciples, which they couldn't understand. But then he ended, and the third day he shall rise again. And of course, he had also told them a few days before that in his coming kingdom, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye, ye, ye apostles, shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Well, this sounded pretty good to the brothers. They wanted, their, they wanted to get in on this at the beginning. So they decided to strike while the iron was hot, so to speak and had their mother approach Jesus, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him, a certain thing. What wilt thou, asks Jesus, knowing exactly what she's going to ask. Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. Just an aside here who asks his mother to petition the boss for the highest positions in the company. (laughs) I don't think we would try it, do you? At any rate, Mark's version says they asked directly to Jesus, and in this gospel, they are right with her, and so he replies to them directly. In any event, the selfishness and the ambition of these two brothers not to mention their ignorance of Christ's kingdom, they thought it was going to be an earthly kingdom, displayed their pride that was at the bottom of what they were doing, a proud conceit of their own merit, a proud contempt of their fellow apostles, and a proud desire for honor and preferment over them. In fact, the pride of sin. Ye know not what ye ask, says Jesus. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Knowing, without knowing what Jesus meant, they say unto him, we're able to, sure. Jesus is talking about the bitter cup of crucifixion that he will drink, which he asked the Father to pass from his lips in the garden. He is talking about the baptism of death he will suffer before the glorious resurrection, the new birth which we all share in our baptism. Their bold statement 
that they were able to do these things they did not understand, and on their own merits, reflects the same temptation and self-pride that Peter had displayed at the Last Supper, believing that on his own he could openly come to Jesus' defense. And Jesus warns them, saying, they will in fact drink of his cup and be baptized in his baptism. James had his head cut off by the sword. John was persecuted and exiled to the island of Patmos. Then Jesus says something very interesting. He says, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. Note, please, it's very probable that there are degrees of glory in heaven. For our Savior Jesus seems to have just said that some shall sit on his right hand and some on his left in the highest places. This future glory is prepared and purposed in the eternal counsel of God from the beginning of time. It is not mine to give, that is, it's not mine to promise you now, The matter's already settled from all time, says Jesus. The Father and the Son understand one another perfectly well in this matter. It is not mine to give to those who ask for it and are ambitious for it, but to those that with great humility and self-denial are prepared for it. So the selfishness and ambition of the two brothers, matched by the resentment and the indignation of the other ten disciples, who, if truth be told, most likely had unspoken and secret desires of the same sort. They were angry that they weren't the first to ask. And this gave our Lord the occasion to instruct them on the true meaning of discipleship. It is none other than humble and selfless sacrifice, which, by the way, may or may not lead to the outward glory of a bloody martyrdom. Only God knows the secrets of our hearts, the depth of our sincerity, and the entireness of our self-giving to God. The highest reward of following Christ will come to those who conform their lives most closely to the example of his lowly service, his ministry. Jesus tells them, all 12 of them, be not as the Gentiles who act as princes over others, and exercise authority over others. But it shall not be so amongst you, twelve. Whoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whoever will be chief, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Remember that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. They didn't wash his feet. So how does St. James come to an end? Our epistle in chapter 12 of Acts tells us, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Herod, again? We've seen this Herod before, haven't we? Which Herod are we talking about? We have three of this abominable family. Herod the Great had been confounded by the Magi at Jesus' birth when they wouldn't tell him where Jesus was. And this Herod had slaughtered the innocents in Bethlehem. His son, Herod Antipas, had put John the Baptist 
to death. His grandson, Herod Agrippa, killed St. James, the brother of John, with the sword. So James did indeed drink from the cup, the same as Jesus. I think the best ending for this sermon and its message for all of us come from the words of our collet for today. Let us pray. God, grant, O merciful God, that as thine holy apostle St. James, leaving his father and all that he had, without delay, was obedient under the calling of thy son, Jesus Christ, and followed him. So we, forsaking all worldly and carnal affections, may be ever more ready to follow thy holy commandments through the same Jesus Christ our Lord, 